Good morning. Biden scores against the GOP on Social Security. Seymour Hersh says the United States was behind the bombing of the Nordstrom pipeline, supplying Russian gas to Germany. And Leonard Peltier reaches a sad milestone, 48 years in federal prison. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news for Friday morning, February 10th, 2023. Former Vice President Mike Pence has been subpoenaed by the special counsel investigating former President Donald Trump's effort to overturn the 2020 election. The subpoena is part of the investigation by special counsel Jack Smith. The extraordinary scenario of a former vice president testifying against his former boss in a criminal investigation comes as Pence has been weighing his own presidential bid in 2024. It's unclear if there were efforts to secure voluntary testimony from Pence. The subpoena may set up a fight over executive privilege, given Pence's close ties to Trump. And with an eye toward the 2024 campaign, President Joe Biden took direct aim at Republicans who have floated cuts to Social Security and Medicare. He told an audience in Florida yesterday he would create a nightmare for anyone trying to cut the marquee federal social programs. Biden held up a pamphlet from Florida Senator Rick Scott in which the Republican says he wants to require the programs to be reauthorized every five years. Republicans seem shocked when I took out the pamphlets they were using about cutting Medicare and Social Security. Read from, you know, Senator Scott's proposal. Read from the proposal from the senator from Wisconsin. They were offended. Liar, liar. By the way, the last person who said that on the floor of the Senate got censored by the Senate, by the Congress. But there are about four or five, I don't know how many. I reminded them that Florida's own Rick Scott is the guy who ran the Senate campaign committee for Republicans last year, had a plan to sunset. Maybe he's changed his mind. Maybe he's seen the Lord. But... <laughs> But he wanted a sunset, meaning if you don't reauthorize it, it goes away. Sunset Social Security and Medicare every five years. Now, it's not likely to get voted out, but I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what. It's likely it got cut drastically if you had to do it every five years. The very idea the senator from Florida wants to put Social Security and Medicare in the chopping block every five years, I find to be somewhat outrageous. So outrageous that you might not even believe it. But it's what he said. I won't do it again, but well, I will. <laughs> 12-point American Rescue Plan. One of the points, all federal legislation such that's every five years. The law is worth keeping. The Congress can pass it all over again. During Tuesday's State of the Union address, GOP lawmakers jeered when Biden referred to Scott's proposal. Some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. Let me give you anybody who doubts it. Contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. No, I tell you, I, I enjoy conversion. In 2009, the House Republican whip, Joe Wilson, interrupted a speech by then-President Barack Obama shouting, you lie. He was reprimanded for the outburst by the House. Meanwhile, a Delaware man who threatened a black police officer with a pole attached to a Confederate battle flag as he stormed the U.S. Capitol was sentenced yesterday to three years in prison. Kevin Seafried tearfully apologized for participating in the January 6, 2021 riot, but U.S. District Judge Trevor McFadden said bringing a Confederate flag into our nation's most sacred halls was outrageous. In October, Seafried's son Hunter, who was also in the Capitol, was sentenced to two years. 
And United States Representative George Santos was charged with criminal theft in Pennsylvania in 2017 in connection with bad checks apparently used to buy puppies from dog breeders. The case was ultimately dismissed after Santos said the nine checks, totally more than $15,000, were from a checkbook that had been stolen from him. The charges date to a time when Santos claimed to be leading a group, Friends of Pets United, that benefited sick, abandoned, or neglected animals. In a related story, a formerly homeless veteran, Rich Ostoff, has accused Santos of raising thousands to get surgery for Ostoff's dog, but the surgery never materialized and the money disappeared. A number of members of the House of Representatives have banded together to have Santos kicked out of the legislative body. They appeared this week with a group of voters from his district who want Santos to resign. They were led by New York Democrat Richie Torres. Of the 535 members in Congress, there's no one who poses a greater threat to the integrity of the institution than George Santos. According to polling, the majority of Republicans in his district want him to resign. That's right. The majority of House Republicans in New York have called upon him to resign. resign. His constituents want nothing to do with George Santos. His colleagues want nothing to do with George Santos. Even the close associate of a sanctioned Russian oligarch wants nothing to do with George Santos. When you're more radioactive than the Russian oligarchs, there's something wrong with you. Right? His only reason for remaining in public office is to maintain leverage for a plea bargain in the event of criminal prosecution. His only purpose is to be a punchline for comedians. But the time has come to end the tragedy and the comedy that is George Santos. The House Republicans came here promising to drain the swamp, but they refuse to drain the greatest swamp of them all, the Santos Swamp. And it's time to drain it. Thank you so much. New York Democratic Representative Richie Torres. And you're listening to the news from New York City. I'm Paul Darienzo. In news from the war between NATO-backed Ukraine and Russia, Pulitzer Prize-winning U.S. reporter Seymour Hersh said this week that Navy divers in a CIA operation ordered by President Joe Biden planted explosives that destroyed three Russian gas pipelines under the Baltic Sea last September. The White House called the report false, and State Department spokesperson Ned Price called Hirsch's report propaganda. Rather than let this, this propaganda get, be, be aired in, in the briefing room, but let, 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 let me just say it is a fundamental misunderstanding of oversight in our U.S. Congress. Beyond getting his facts entirely wrong, as he has before in very uh, high-profile ways, uh, it is a fundamental misunderstanding to suggest that our intelligence community is not subject to oversight. Anyone who writes that, anything who writes anything like that, no, no, uh, should, no, should not be not believed by any no, no, no. that he, he wrote for. that it was taken off of uh, a CIA and put under military in order to prevent... Our military is also subject to rigorous oversight. That, that, that's my uh, question. That's yes. my question. The answer is yes. Do you recognize and abide by the... Um, War powers clause in such a situation and the war powers resolution in such a situation. In a situation, question. your question is if we abide by the war powers resolution in, in, in a situation that never occurred? In no, any situation, no. in any situation involving U.S. military, do you abide by the war powers resolution? We, we follow the law in every instance, yes. Including the war powers resolution? We follow the war, power resolu- war powers resolution and the broader law in every instance, yes. Go ahead. 
Hirsch's account is based on a single source who remains unidentified. The reporter says the explosion was authorized by Biden to blunt Moscow's ability to use gas sales to Europe to fund its invasion of Ukraine. Reporter Bryce Green with the media watchdog FAIR says the Western media has given the U.S. a pass on the Nord Stream pipeline, attempting at first to blame Russia, despite Russia being a co-owner of the installation. When this pipeline exploded during the war, the U.S. media was quick to finger Russia. The U.S. government was quick to point at Russia. The media ignored all the opposition to the pipeline, all the statements about how the pipeline won't go forward, and all the geopolitical reasons why the U.S. would want it to be destroyed. They ignored all this, and they pointed at Russia, but they had no evidence. There were some critics who mentioned that it was possible that the West might have a role in this because of the circumstances, but they were marginalized and largely ignored. That is until very recently, when the German government actually said to the press that they were open to ideas the West was behind the attacks. That's a serious thing because Germany is ostensibly our ally, and if we attacked or if any member of uh, the Western Bloc attacked German infrastructure, that would be a major escalation. Seymour Hirsch, the legendary uh, reporter, he published an article saying that the U.S. was in fact behind the attack. In June of 2022, according to Hirsch and his source, the U.S. actually, in conjunction with the Norwegian government, they planted the explosives on the pipeline and they detonated them uh, later that year in September. Look at Japan and Germany. I mean, are they still conquered nations? Back to this whole thing about German independence and German sovereignty. Germany was actually pretty hesitant to engage in this Ukraine proxy war. They refused to send tanks until the U.S. sent tanks. They've been more independent than a lot of the other European states, and that's largely a function of its strong manufacturing sector and its strong industry. The U.S. was able to push Germany in the direction that Washington wanted to go, even to the point where Washington felt comfortable, according to Hirsch, in blowing up German infrastructure. There's a real large question about whether or not Germany will maintain its sovereignty by challenging the U.S. in whatever way it can, by calling out this act of sabotage, or will it continue to be a subjugated nation? Will it ignore all of the evidence that points to U.S. complicity in the attack on its infrastructure? I have not seen people talking honestly about the whole idea of German-made armor being stationed in eastern Ukraine. There have been some people who are specifically questioning the use of the the number 88 in the uh, 88 Leopard 1 tanks that were sent. Uh, Adolf uh, Hitler, right? A... Heil Hitler, H-H. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, that's a, a common neo-Nazi uh, uh, reference, at least on the Internet. Um, and I, I'm not saying that there's a connection here, but it is odd. And it does echo the last time the Germans entered the Ukraine, really, Operation Barbarossa, when Hitler swept in uh, in a surprise attack. People don't seem to understand that after the end of World War II, much of the Nazis who weren't executed... They were wrapped up into NATO countries. The Nazis didn't necessarily lose World War II. They just relocated to the United States in some way. You know, a lot of Nazis working for American science, Nazis working for NATO high command. All of this has culminated 
with the resurgence of neo-Nazism in Europe, you see with the Azov Battalion over the last several years, now you have echoes of sending German tanks into Russia with the aim of breaking up Russia or destroying Russia. Do you think Russian people, Russian military, Russian government is going to count every German tank originating shell, who it kills, who it damages, where it lands, and there'll be an accounting for that in the future? Yeah. With any luck, cooler heads will prevail on either side, and Western officials and Russian officials will find a way to live in the world together in harmony without blowing each other up. I don't know how optimistic to be about that, especially considering on the U.S. side there don't seem to be any adults in the room. Reporter Bryce Green is with the media watchdog Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, or FAIR. We'll be following this developing story again later in the week. In related news, President Biden said Thursday he didn't view a Chinese spy balloon that transited the United States to have been a major security breach. Biden added in an interview he didn't regret shooting down the balloon sooner, despite coming under fire from some lawmakers. Biden says U.S. military officials were worried the balloon and its parts could drop into a populated area. A former diplomat who traveled to China as an interpreter with President Richard Nixon when relations were initially opened with the communist state is Chaz Freeman. He says both countries are stumbling towards war. The most dangerous issue is the Taiwan question. We intervened in 1950 after North Korea invaded South Korea to keep the war in Korea from spreading by putting the Seventh Fleet into the Taiwan Strait and interrupting the Chinese Civil War, which was headed to a conclusion, separating Taiwan from the rest of China. And the Chinese have never accepted that. And they've always said there's only one China, that the capital of China is in Beijing. For nearly three decades, we uh, insisted no, the capital of China was in Taipei. And the McCarthy era, who lost China? You know, are there Chinese spies hiding in different places? We did to Chinese Americans then what we're again doing, putting them under surveillance, in effect using law enforcement, but also popular uh, to threaten them. And the same result is happening. And many of our best scientists who happen to be of Chinese descent are leaving and going either to China or to other countries. Hitler do that and send Einstein to America, to New Jersey, where they went to Los Alamos and developed the atom bomb. Well, there's a lesson even from the earlier experience. There was a professor, a brilliant man named Chen Xiexian at Caltech. He was the inventor of cybernetic engineering for the world. The FBI did a lot of heavy breathing and uh, around him, and they cut him out of access to anything and put him essentially under house arrest. He went back to China, and he's the father of the Chinese H-bomb, as well as the father of the Chinese missile program. This is a losing proposition. Our science has been the best in the world, and we're losing some of our best people to China. 1970s political motivation of the patriotic class and the silent majority to support a war, because it's always worked. I don't know of many members of Congress who have uh, sent their sons and daughters into the military, or indeed many who, who actually have seen combat. There are a few. I think there's a great misunderstanding of war. And the most remarkable thing and the most dangerous thing is that China is currently heavying up its nuclear deterrent force, 
precisely to, because it fears American intervention in Taiwan, in a Taiwan contingency, and feels it needs nuclear cover. We're headed for some kind of nuclear standoff. I hope it's a standoff. I hope nobody actually pushes the button. One thing we can say about a war over Taiwan is whatever whatever the outcome is, uh, Taiwan's democracy and prosperity will be destroyed. So we're back where we were with the Vietnam statement that it was necessary to destroy the village to save it. Coming from that Vietnam experience, one of my favorite books about the Vietnam War was uh, a book called The Fire in the Lake. What I liked about that book is it explained the difference between the Western and the the long term. They were surprised the U.S. left so fast. There is a difference in mentality. Certainly the Chinese tend to plan and think in much longer terms than we do. In fact, one of the worst criticisms I could levy against U.S. foreign policy, there are two aspects to it. One, it's now almost entirely military. The economic, cultural, political dimensions are neglected. And second, there's no strategy. You need a vision, you need to set objectives, and then a strategy consists of relating resources to those objectives to find the most economical way of achieving them. We have no vision of where we want to end. Here we are, we've started an economic war with China, a technological war. There's an over-war termination strategy. We don't know how we're going to end this. Therefore, very likely, as been the case in other wars of choice we've begun, it's going to turn out to be a forever war. And we really can't afford that. U.S. officials say they may sanction any Chinese counterparts involved with the balloon fiasco, but Biden has said he doesn't want tensions with Beijing to get out of control. In national news, the parents and sister of cinematographer Helena Hutchins, killed on the set of the film Rust, filed suit against Alec Baldwin and others involved with the production. Attorney Gloria Allred is representing those family members, Helena's dad and mom, Anatoly and Olga Androzovich, and her sister Svetlana, who live in Ukraine, and held a press conference in Los Angeles yesterday. We are here today to announce that we represent the mother, the father, and the sister of Helena Hutchins, and that on their behalf, we have filed a lawsuit today in Los Angeles County Superior Court against Alec Baldwin, producers of Rust, and other defendants who may have been responsible for the tragic death of Helena Hutchins. May she rest in peace. Helena's mother, Olga Solovi, is devastated by the shocking killing of her beautiful daughter, Helena. Olga had a very close relationship with her daughter, and they depended on each other for emotional and financial support. Svetlana Zemko is Helena's younger sister. She also had a very close and a loving relationship with her big sister, Helena. And she feels strongly that anyone who is responsible for her loss must be held accountable. Anatoly Androsovich is Helena's father. He loved Helena. His relationship with her can never be replaced and is now irreparably damaged. For that reason, we filed a lawsuit today alleging battery, intentional infliction of emotional distress, negligence, and loss of cons consortium for our three plaintiffs. Loss of consortium is a claim which seeks to recover compensation 
for damages to certain relationships that are mutually dependent. In a video, Svetlana says the death of her sibling has been one of the biggest losses of my life and says the health of her parents has sharply declined. Olga is an ER nurse in Ukraine. We are the sister and the mother of Helena Hutchins. To lose my sister, at least personally for me, was a horrible experience. And it is one of the biggest losses of my life. And even more devastating is to see the utter suffering of our parents and how their health has sharply declined. It is for this reason that I would like those who are at fault for somebody to carry that responsibility. And not just someone, but that very someone who is truly responsible for this. I believe to let this go and to leave this unpunished is unallowable. A previous suit was settled between Helena's husband and child. This suit covers the other family members. Baldwin was charged last month with two counts of involuntary manslaughter. And finally, Monday marks 48 years in federal prison for Native American activist Leonard Peltier. Peltier, now 78, was charged with the murder of two FBI agents in a murky confrontation at a ranch on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. The reason the agents were on the property was never fully explained, and there were no eyewitnesses to the actual killing of the agents. Two other Native leaders were acquitted at trial. Peltier's case was separated, and he was tried in a much more anti-Indian atmosphere. Meanwhile, former drummer for the Beatles, Ringo Starr, came out this week in a video supporting clemency for Peltier. Leonard Peltier should be released from prison, so I am supporting this quest to have him freed by the president. Peace and love. Peace and love. Peace and love. During a visit to New York City just before the COVID-19 pandemic jumped off, Peltier's spiritual advisor, Lenny Foster, a Dina or Navajo Indian, appeared on my Manhattan Public Access show, Let Them Talk. Specifically on uh, the wrongful incarceration of uh, Leonard Peltier. He's been incarcerated going on 45 years and he's uh, 75 years old. He's not uh, in good, in the best of health. He's, he's experiencing some uh, serious health problems, issues around his his heart and diabetes, and uh, just uh, affecting him, uh, not being able to enjoy uh, the sunshine and being able to go outside and breathe the fresh air, things like that that we take for granted. So we, we feel that he qualifies for uh, immediate release on compassionate release based on his health condition. You work in the prisons with Native American people, right, from different, uh, all over the United States. You actually go into prisons and you've won many victories as far as the rights of Native American prisoners to practice their religion. It's been a beautiful uh, journey for me. It's actually a spiritual journey because I've advocated and uh, uh, fought for uh, religious and cultural rights of our uh, Native people who are incarcerated in the state prison system in the Federal Bureau of Prison. I worked on policies, state statutes, introduced legislation at the state level and also at the federal level with the strategy that uh, if we're able to secure these uh, rights through the law books, uh, 
then our people would be allowed to uh, practice their uh, ceremonial Mm -hmm. uh, practices, including uh, excess use of the sweat lodge for cleansing and purification, uh, the right to congregate and uh, have uh, talking circles and smoke the pipe, which is uh, central to all Native Americans uh, praying and uh, using uh, tobacco and uh, Indian tobacco. I'm not talking about white man's tobacco, but Indian tobacco, whether it's mountain smoke or uh, kinnicknick. Those are essential for our uh, right to uh, express our humanity as Indian people. Lenny Foster is director of the Navajo Corrections Project based in Window Rock, Arizona. Peltier is in federal prison in Florida. In a recent message to his supporters, he said, do your best to educate the children, teach them to plant a food forest or any plant that will provide for them in the future. Again, from my heart to yours, plant a tree for me in the spirit of Crazy Horse. Uh, the Peltier song. So without further ado, this song is uh, for a brother who's incarcerated uh, 45 years. Uh, we, we're seeking uh, his uh, release from prison. And that's the news for Friday, February 10th, 2023. You can hear the news at paulderienzo.com. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. Oy.